If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheets are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or add a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheets bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheets for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 12-12. This is our number two of the World According to Zig podcast for this November 19th, 2017 my name is John Ziegler. I'm the host of this show where you can still get the truth about news, politics, media, sports, and culture from a true conservative perspective in this world turned upside down, as is often the case, usually the case, although not every single week. I can't promise that, but uh, we've been lucky recently. Hour number two uh, features a special guest and really looking forward to this week's guest because this week, it's not just Thanksgiving, but it's also the anniversary of the assassination of John F. Kennedy. It's just the 54th, and therefore we don't care because it's not an even number. It's not, hasn't, doesn't have a zero at the end of it or at least a five. Uh, so therefore the uh, anniversary is not that significant, but it's gotten a lot of publicity recently because of the, uh, the Trump administration, although he had nothing really to do with this. He took credit for it, but that's not unusual, uh, has uh, released uh, lots and lots of files that have have never been released to the public uh, previously. And this has created renewed attention on the case. This is a case that, uh, like a lot of Americans, I've been fascinated by and I have researched very, very, very deeply and have totally changed my mind on. And when I was young and dumb, uh, I was a conspiracy guy on this. But now I'm very much like I am normally uh, in the uh, the camp of the ardent anti-conspiracy theorists, as is our guest. Uh, he is the author of many, many uh, very critically acclaimed books, but uh, also the definitive work on the Kennedy assassination, which is entitled Case Closed, and he joins us now. Gerald Posner, author of the book Case Closed, as well as many other fine works. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, John, great to be with you. Good to talk to you again. Yeah, it's been a long time, and what facilitated uh, this particular conversation uh, is that uh, obviously there's been a lot in the news in recent weeks about the JFK assassination. This is the anniversary this week uh, that we're talking because of the fact that these these uh, long-talked-about files were, were have finally sort of been released, although a lot of them are redacted. I expected there to be a lot more conspiracy theories that would be reborn a- out of these documents, but so far it seems to be pretty much a nothing burger. Would you uh, agree with that assessment, and are, and are you surprised by that? 
Uh, no, I, I, agree, I agree with you, and I'm not surprised so far, but I think that the key part of what you said about the nothing burger analysis is so far. We're in early days. We don't even have all the documents out yet, and I think that what will happen is it will take time for the researchers on the assassination to, to go through it, those people who have held on to their favorite theory over the years, some think it's the mob, some think it's the government, uh, you know, the, all types of competing theories, as you well know. And when they sort through it, some will find a document here or there to pick and choose that they'll say, ah, that, uh, that really does lead us down this path. And I think we'll go down the rabbit hole on some new theories and uh, uh, down the road, but it may take a few months. Well, okay, that's interesting. I, I would have thought that someone would have jumped on something already, but it, uh, uh, there, there are a lot of documents. And, mm-hmm. and you, you mentioned cherry picking, because that's really what's going what will happen if it does occur. You know, obviously, when you have this many documents, and, and there, it was a, obviously a chaotic time in the days after, and we saw this was not with 9-11, too. In the days after, you're always going to have people who are going to come up with theories that in retrospect seem crazy or wrong, but but now can be used for a person's purpose to try to support a, a crazy conspiracy theory for which there's there's no basis. And, and isn't that really the basis of a lot of these conspiracy theories, taking little things out of context and running with them without a, an overall narrative that makes sense? Is that, is that yeah. your assessment? I, I think that's often true. You're, you're absolutely right. As a matter of fact, there's a, uh, a piece out in the science section of Time magazine this week that talks about why do very intelligent people often believe in conspiracy theories without the evidence to back it up. It's an interesting psychological take on it. Uh, but I think that also it, in the Kennedy assassination, there are reasons for people initially to be suspicious. For If we were looking at the case, you, me, anyone else, any investigator, researcher, reporter, in 1963, your antenna has to be up for the fact that something could be wrong, and that's basically because of Ruby's murder of Oswald. When you have the fellow arrested for the assassination killed, two days later in police custody, by a guy who owns a nightclub and may have ties, some people say, to the mob, you're immediately off and running. And then when the Warren Commission does its work, although it's very good, it's flawed on fundamental areas where they come to the right conclusion about Oswald, I believe, but the science and technology isn't there to definitively settle things, so that opens up a basket of worms for things like the so-called magic bullet. And then you seal the files for years. People think they must be hiding something important. And we know the FBI and CIA lied to the Warren Commission. Uh, the FBI was trying to minimize its contacts with Oswald. The CIA was lying about its partnership with the mob to kill a head of state, not Kennedy, but Castro, in which they failed miserably seven times. So I do think that you're right about people finding a piece of evidence, and it's not necessarily rational, and they may chase it, but there's plenty of reason for people to legitimately be suspicious about what happened in this case until they research it. That's a really great point you just made there, Gerald, because uh, to me, the Kennedy assassination case is a perfect example of something where if you have only the headlines, I can understand why you come to a conclusion that, wait a minute, this this doesn't seem right. There's got to be more here. Uh, but the, di- the the deeper you dig into it, and you dug as deep as anybody with your book Case Closed, and, it, and frankly, it changed my opinion because I, you know, I was a young guy at that time. <laughs> you wrote the book quite a while ago, right. and uh, you know, I I came into it thinking, you know. The, the conspiracies. I was a mob conspiracy guy. Yeah. I thought the mob had the motive and the opportunity and Oswald's connections. That made sense to me. Uh, I didn't know about a multiple gunman, but okay, you know, that was where I was. And then I read your book 
and I was completely in, I, I read it in two days, and then I went back and read it again, and I was completely convinced that Oswald, in fact, had acted alone and, and probably without what we would call an organized conspiracy behind him. And yet, to this day, Gerald, with all the, the new news about these files opening, one poll indicated that only 18% of Americans— 18% believe that Oswald acted alone. That's got to be that's got to be depressing to you, is it not? No, no, it's, it's not bad actually. I'll tell you why, John. First of all, great minds think alike. So, I know this will sound like the mutual admiration society between the two of us, but I shared your belief initially before I started to research the 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 case for a book. I thought it was also the mob, but if I went I was in law school in 75 to 78, when the House Select Committee on Assassinations was doing its, its reinvestigation. Mm -hmm. and, and if you had asked me then who I thought was behind the case, I would have said most likely the mob. Same as you. They had the means, motive, and opportunity. Ruby was that extra little bit. It looked like a, a, mm -hmm. a, a mob rubout. When I signed the book to do with Random House in, in 91, two years before I published on the 30th anniversary, it wasn't going to be a book that said, here's what happened in the case definitively. I just wanted to do a book that examined all the competing theories from a sort of a legal perspective, very rational, logical, knock out all the stuff that wasn't real, and then say, here are the five or six issues we can't resolve in the assassination of JFK. This is a primer to the case. Read this before you read any other book. Instead, I came to believe, as you did after reading the book, that it was Oswald alone. So I became a convert to that idea. I'm not surprised that most people don't believe it. They haven't studied the case. Uh, they'll allow, uh, many Americans will allow a three-hour film like JFK by Oliver Stone to be their full version of history. Uh, and they've also learned over time, especially a new generation, the government does have conspiracies against us. They, they do lie. Uh, they lied to us about Vietnam. They lied about Iran-Contra. Uh, there was Watergate. Uh, so over time, people lose faith in government. And when given the option to think that it was just one 24-year-old sociopath for his own warped motivations changing history, it makes you feel a little better if Kennedy died for some greater reason, that you know, either the mob had to kill him because he was going to eliminate them with Bobby, his brother, or, or the CIA had to kill him because he was going to dissolve the CIA and take us out of Vietnam. If he, his death has some bigger meaning to it, you somehow feel better about it. And so I'm not surprised that people hold on to... Uh, the idea of a conspiracy. Well, uh, you know, I've, I've always maintained that about a third of our nation ha really has a clue about what's going on. So the fact that that number is now down to 18 uh, percent is depressing to me personally. And if I wrote <laughs> if I wrote case closed, I would be a little the downcast. Uh, uh, John, hold on. There was, you know, uh, there, uh, there was a poll in 2013 by Gallup. Gallup's been doing these polls yeah. since 64. And in the in the 50th anniversary poll, they had 30 uh, the nearly 30%, I think, or 31% uh, may have thought it was a lone assassin, and 61% uh, uh, right. or that had thought it was a, uh, a conspiracy. You know that after Oliver Stone, it was almost 90% or 92% thought it was a conspiracy. <laughs> so I guess I find some solace in 30% or 18%. Uh, we're moving in the right direction. But the key is, don't you think, as a broadcaster and somebody who looks at so many different areas, that after 54 years... You have to ask the question, if you think it's a conspiracy, where is the deathbed confession? Where's right. the person with a guilty conscience who's, who's disclosed something? Where's the diary that's been left behind by a, an uncle who was involved in the plot? You know, we should see some credible evidence, one right. piece 
of what happened, but we don't after five decades. And, and that's a really important point. And I, I mention this constantly, uh, all the time, that the absence of evidence is, in fact, often evidence of absence. And, mm-hmm. and you know, we, we eventually learned who Deep Throat was, right? right. I mean, which no right. one ever thought was going to happen. The, the reality is these things come out, especially in this day and age, with Twitter and Facebook and the Internet. I mean, anybody can get their story out, uh, and, and if it's a good enough story, it's going to go viral in a heartbeat. So there, there is, there's no possible way to bottle up a story this large if anybody else was involved in a conspiracy to kill the President of the United States. But let's, let's talk about some of the actual facts. Uh, and, and that's really what your book, Case Closed, did exceedingly well. It's in, incredibly well researched and, and, and the thought and the logic behind it, I thought, was, was really outstanding, especially, you know, again, coming from the perspective that I thought this was a conspiracy going in. I'm an Oxum's Razor guy. And, right. and if you look at Ox, Oxum's Razor, pretty much explains how, for, for sure, Lee Harvey Oswald was a shooter that day. Let's just start with that. Right. Let, let, let's just do the – give us the Oxum's razor that there's no possible way that Lee Harvey Oswald did not fire a rifle okay. that, that, that shot at JFK. Yeah, so – well, okay. I can I, – uh, I'm also an Oxum's razor guy, but I back out of the case a different way, or I say I back out of the plaza a different way. I use the ballistics and the autopsy and x-rays – and the film, there's a Pruder film, to determine where the shots are coming from that day. And the overwhelming evidence is, uh, the, it's convincing evidence, it's a scientific certainty that the only shooter in Dealey Plaza who hit the president that day, if even if there were ten shooters, even if there were five were on the grassy knoll, was a shooter shooting from behind the president in the general vicinity of the fifth or sixth floor of the book depository, where Oswald was last left, left, left on the sixth floor 35 minutes before the assassination by three of his co-workers. So if the shooter who hit Kennedy was firing from behind, then the next question becomes, who's the shooter? And all of the evidence points to Lee Harvey Oswald. He brings in Curtin Rods, that was really his gun that day. Uh, there, uh, the sniper's nest is left with his fingerprints all around. The, the rifle, when it's found, has his fingerprints on it. The bullets are tied to the exclusion of any other to his gun. Um, he flees after the assassination and kills a policeman less than 45 minutes later who tries to stop him because he has it fits the general description. So Oswald's the shooter. The tougher question, as you know, then becomes, is he the shooter for himself and his own warped motivation, or is he doing it for somebody well, else? Well, that's always the great challenge. Well, let, I want to get to that, but let, let, let's kind of break this down piece by piece in the time that, that we have here. So it's funny that you, you, you say you back into Dealey Plaza, because that is the opposite of the way that I look at it, at this. Uh, when I mean Oxum's Razor, I'm looking at it and I go, okay, uh, you know, almost all the witnesses say that the shots came from the book depository building. Uh, he's a worker at the book depository building. He's the only guy that misses the roll call after the assassination uh, of employees at the book depository. Uh, people saw him on that floor. A gun that was uh, registered, well, not technically registered, but was sent to him. Owned by him. Owned yeah. by him. Photographed. He has a photo. There's a photograph of him with that gun uh, that is found on the sixth floor the the bullet casings the 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 the, the gun the bullet casings are consistent with the gun the, there's only three bullet ca- 
these things, which to me is one of the most important part of this whole whole thing. If there's a conspiracy, right? How in the world do the people that are planting the evidence know that the vast majority of witnesses are going to say there were three shots fired? Yeah, no, no, no. You're, you're, no, you're absolutely right. It's brilliant. Your 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 rundown is good. And remember that in the sniper's nest, um, be be on the paper bag in which the gun was wrapped. Uh, right. There are only two prints found. It's the left index finger of Oswald and the right palm print of Oswald. On the corner of the top boxes was used by the gunman to rest the gun and from which they shot at Kennedy is the left palm print of Oswald. But uh, there's a right palm print on the front of the wooden stock uh, and there's a right fingerprint on the top of the sniper's nest box. So it's all Oswald. But what you just described is used by conspiracy theorists, and you know this, to say, ah, all that overwhelming evidence, it must be a setup because nobody smart enough to kill the president would leave behind such a clear trail of evidence pinpointing him. Yeah, you can't possibly win. But as far as the fi- – see, I don't even use the fingerprints, Gerald, because I know that no one who is you know, prone to conspiracies is going to believe – Believe fingerprints, gonna, that's right. Going to believe fingerprints. So I don't, I don't even use that stuff. See, see to me, I think uh, you know, one, you know, one of my favorite parts of the conspiracy – uh, in debunking that Oswald was the shooter is that, of course, he is seen was on the fourth floor just after the assassination in the break right. room. And and in their minds, he would have had to have hurried from the sixth floor to get to the fourth floor in time to be witnessed there. And I'm like, well, duh, he just shot the president. president <laughs> isn't it fantastic? This is so great. Think about this. He shoots the president of the United States. Within three minutes after that final shot, he walks unmolested out of the front entrance of the Texas School Book Depository after running into a, a motorcycle policeman, this guy, uh, Marion Baker, uh, in, the, in near the lunchroom. Now, people say, how could it be done? The FBI redid that experiment without running. Uh, agents just walking at no- normal speed were able to come out 30 seconds earlier than Oswald, including the stop when he runs into the policeman. It's not hard to do, and you're right. He's just killed the president of the United States. It's not a suicide mission. He wants to get away. It, it reminded me of, um, you know, I live here in, in Los Angeles. It reminded me when O.J. Simpson's defense team tried to argue that, you know, O.J. would have had to have really hurried from Nicole's house <laughs> to get to his house in time. And I'm like, well, duh. <laughs> he wasn't lollygagging. I mean, there's, a, there's a reason why the time period was short. Um, I mean, now, okay, so then, so then we go, uh, you know, that to me is pretty damning evidence that Oswald did this, but there's, there's more. See, to, to me, um, one of the key reasons why a conspiracy, see, you know, the idea that Oswald was put up by some greater force to do this is implausible to me, revolves around his neighbor, Ruth Payne. Because it's, yeah. Ru- it's Ruth Payne who gets Oswald the job at the school book depository. And here's the important part. Before the pa- parade route is changed to go right past the school book depository building. That has to be the greatest coincidence in the history of coincidences, right? No, abs- absolutely. You're so right. You know, it's, it's interesting because people say, oh, okay. So Oswald had a job at the book depository, and he must have been placed there by the CIA or that. What you just said is critical, and 99% of people don't even realize. And that is that Oswald's wife, Marina, was separated from him because, in fact, she knew he'd already tried to assassinate someone else, a retired Army general who he thought was a right-winger. She uh, had been beaten by him a number of times. Uh, The Russian emigres knew that. So she's living out 
in a suburb outside of Dallas with a Quaker woman, Ruth Payne, and her husband. They, and they're taking care of her. It's Ruth Payne when Marina Oswald says Lee can't get a job. He's come back to the United States after failing to get to Cuba in early October of 63, six weeks before, seven weeks before the assassination. It's Ruth who, a friend, finds out about the Texas School Book Depository, calls the supervisor herself, and pitches Lee as a worker to sort of, you know, stack books and do work in these boxes. He has two spots available, one at the downtown location where Kennedy's motorcade later ends up going past, and one at a remote location in a suburb. He puts him at the downtown location, and you're absolutely right. The motorcade route isn't set for another three and a half weeks. Uh, and when it is set, it's published in both Dallas newspapers, the Dallas Morning News and Dallas Times-Herald, three different times. They actually show the route. They show where it's coming for Oswald, who thought he was going to put himself in the history books by killing a retired Army general. Kennedy is a gift on a silver platter. Yeah, it, it, to believe in a conspiracy, you just have to believe crazy things. And the Ruth Payne story is just one important element of the craziness that you would have to believe that she's in on this. And by the way, she has inside information <laughs> that there's no possible way that Ruth Payne could, could ever conceivably have. Now, let's go. You've already mentioned the Ruby uh, killing of Oswald, which I get. I totally understand why that really, that that sets the conspiracy theories, you know, off into outer space because you know, there's, there's no stopping them once, right. once Oswald is killed by Ruby under incredibly suspect uh, circumstances. But t- to me, the, the key issue with regard to Ruby is that we know he showed up late. Oswald should not have even have been there. If this was a, a, a contracted killing, it's the worst of all time. He's he's uh, not only has he locked his beloved dog in his car with the window right. shut, but uh, he's wiring money to a stripper at the time period when Oswald is supposed to have come out, but Oswald is delayed and Ruby gets there like two minutes beforehand. Tell us that story. No, John, you're absolutely right. You know, this is fantastic. Think about it. If Oswald is really a patsy, like some people think, if he, if he doesn't know anything, he was set up by some secret government arm, then you don't have to kill Oswald because he's going to get run over by a train in the trial. He's going to be convicted for the assassination. He won't know what hit him, and he'll go to jail or be executed. That'll be the end of him. You only have to kill Oswald if you're a conspiracy, if he knows something. He brought in the gun. He knows uh, who plotted the case, whatever you wanted to say. So now... They've let Oswald walk away from the depository by mistake. He's, he knows something big. They forgot to kill him at the scene. They forgot to have a dirty <laughs> cop come up and shoot him down. Uh, you know. And so he walks out the front door. He gets away. And you have to call up Jack Ruby, who's this wannabe uh, you know, uh, uh, player uh, who owns a strip club. And you say, Jack, most important assignment of your career, you've got to kill this guy, Lee Harvey Oswald, because otherwise the entire conspiracy to kill the president is going to unravel. And what does he do? On Friday night, he goes to the police station and does what Jack Ruby always does. He hands out his business cards. He brings in pizzas. I mean, the cops let him in. They all know him. And he's telling people to come to the strip club. He's telling the agency Francais press guy to, and the, uh, the Le Monde guy and the BBC guy, come down to the strip club when this is all over. He's hustling for business. Oswald comes out for a midnight press interview, walks around eight feet away from Ruby, who's standing there, and Jack must decide... You know, I know I'm supposed to kill the guy who knows something about the mob, the, the effort to kill a president, but I don't feel like it tonight. So he doesn't move to him. <laughs> on Saturday, he's there again, Ruby. The cops are terrible on their security. Oswald comes out. Ruby doesn't move for him. And on Sunday, as you said, 
groupie oversleeps, gets up late. A stripper needs a money gram. He goes down to the only Western Union station in Dallas that's open to send her $25. Oswald was supposed to have been transferred an hour and a half earlier from the police station. He's delayed because he's asked for a change of clothes himself, so I guess he was in on the plot. <laughs> and then a postal inspector came in to ask him some questions. So when Ruby finishes sending the money to the, the stripper, and it's time-stamped by the uh, Western Union office, we know exactly when that was, he then walks down the block, and it's that wonderful, perfect storm of events as Oswald's getting ready to be brought out, and Ruby walks down that, uh, that garage. And at that moment, when he later says... He looks at Oswald, and Oswald has sometimes almost like a, it's like a smirk. It looks like he's the Chester cat who uh, mm-hmm. swallowed the canary. And Ruby sees it and says, you know, to himself, you SOB, you killed the president, and I'm going to deal out some street justice, and I'll be a hero for it. And he ruins history by, by killing him right then. Yeah, it, it's it's insane uh, to, to think that that was part of some organized conspiracy. And Jack Ruby's not the guy you would have chosen uh, under well, the, oh, the, those circumstances. The, now, conspiracy mm-hmm. theorists say you'll love this. So when you go through the uh, and you explain in detail how it was just completely by luck and happenstance that Ruby happens to cross that path with Oswald on Sunday and how he missed the earlier opportunities, didn't do anything. They say, ah. Uh, the, the police would have delayed Oswald's uh, walk through that garage until Ruby arrived. They would have come up with another excuse. So now you have the Dallas police force mm. is also in on the conspiracy, mm-hmm. and they're timing it with Jack Ruby, who must somehow secretly be de- indicating to them that he's running late. Don't worry, Jack. We'll hold <laughs> them until you get here. Well, it was so, cell phones. It was cell phones. They, yeah, they, they, were, right. they were texting. Uh, the, the, the number of people involved, this goes back to what you said before, you can't keep a secret if more than two people are. Uh, if right. this was a kitchen conspiracy of three people, maybe you could do it. But once it starts to involve the Dallas police and the right. FBI and Ruby and everyone else, it's going to be out in 36 All seconds. Right. Well, let's talk a little bit, uh, Gerald, about the logistics of how uh, the actual assassination went down. I, I, I think you and I disagree slightly on this, um, but here's where I want to go with this. See, to me, <clears throat> you mentioned perfect storm. I think that there are many elements of the actual assassination that effectively form a perfect storm that allow people to misperceive what happened. And what right. I mean, and what I mean by that is that we're living in a time in 1963 where we have enough technology to document an event, but not enough to really nail it down. And specifically, the Zabruder film, people don't even realize, and this is just astonishing to me as a guy who, grew, who was born in 1967, that the Zabruder film is not publicly disseminated until 1975. Yeah, see, and, Twelve and the, years so, later. So first of all, terrible, but why? Not because the, um, I blame the government all the time for locking the files up and keeping them secret and adding to people's ideas of a conspiracy. But in this case, it was good old commerce and capitalism. It was Time Life right. that bought the rights to the Zapruder film, and it wasn't publicly available until they had used it, they thought, for everything they needed, which was only some black and white pictures and then some color pictures right. in Time and then in Life. But it comes out in 75. Geraldo Rivera shows it for the first time. And I must tell you, you know the same thing. When you watch that film... As uh, the for, in real time, and you see that graphic headshot at the end, it does look to those of us who watch TV shows and cop shows and military right. shows, it looks like Kennedy's shot from the front because right. his head goes back violently to the left. Oliver Stone makes a big point about that. It's not until you get 
forensics and ballistics guys, and you go through that digitized film frame by frame, that you actually understand what happened. Uh, and that's on what I. Here's where the big mistake was, in my view, on the Warren Commission. Warren Commission, without the ability to do that on the film, said the first shot is the, the so-called magic bullet, the single shot that hits Kennedy and Conley. The second shot misses, and the third shot's the fatal headshot. If that was right, because we know where the, the, the first shot hits the two, because you can see them reacting to it as they come out behind this uh, sign, mm-hmm. the, that means Oswald has about five and a half seconds to get off all three shots. That yeah. can be done, but it's a, tough, it's a tough sequence. In fact, I believe, and a number of new studies of the film show, that it's the first shot that misses about frame 160 to 162. The, the film is a time clock to the assassination, 18 mm-hmm. frames to a second. And that shot is deflected by a tree that partially blocks his view at that point. Mm-hmm. It goes out um, nearly 400 feet from uh, where the depository is, hits a concrete curb, and wounds a bystander, James Tague, on the yeah. cheek with a piece of the concrete. Okay. Hold, he, on, hold on. Can we stop there for a second? Yep. yep. I, I don't buy that at all. I, I, I do not buy the missed shot at all. And, and, here's, and, and here's why, okay? I, I get that Teague was, was injured on the cheek, but, but we have to remember, this is the most traumatic. He's just gone through the most traumatic event he will ever see in his life. There are other explanations for getting a small cut on the cheek, all right? There, the, uh, the, there is not one witness, and I've gone through uh, all of it as you have, uh, and, and there's not nothing. The, the Dallas Morning News the next day is, to me, the Bible of what really transpired here. There is not one syllable, not one syllable of anyone saying, yeah, uh, I saw a, a shot miss and hit the concrete on the sidewalk, uh, which, by the way, there were lots of people there. Not one person says that happened. Not to mention, we have to, we have to also acknowledge, you've already mentioned the timing issue. There, that is an incredibly short amount of time for Oswald to have hit both Kennedy and Nixon with the first shot, completely miss everything on the second shot, and then regather himself and blow off Kennedy's head with the third shot. I'm not buying. Yeah, I, but here's I, what I, happened. Here's, what, here's what's new. But here's what's new on this, and this is what's interesting. That first shot that takes place, that uh, you, know, you say that nobody knows, here's, here's what's interesting about it. The, the 160-gram bullet, is it's aerodynamically, uh, you know, aerodynamically stable. It, it follows a straight course, but the jacket is light, and if it, it's now been reshot in recreations by National Geographic and others through a similar tree as Oswald was looking at. It deflects that bullet and throws it off its path, and here's what happens. The lead core remains in a straight line from the depository. When it strikes that curb, about 500 feet away, mm-hmm. that destabilized copper jacket hits the pavement, and it gives the impression of sparks to a, a witness at the time. But, Virgie Raitley yeah. actually told the police, and she's in an affidavit to the police at the time, that there were sparks in what she thought was a hit of a bullet, or she later mm-hmm. realized was a bullet. But the fragment was never recovered. Yeah. But it's that shot that I'm convinced they now have yeah. pictures of that section of the concrete that is the wounding shot. Uh, I, I, I've seen the concrete. I'm not. Yeah. I, I'm not convinced. Um, but and but I, again, not just. It's not just the lack of witness testimony. It's not needed. Okay. It's not. Well, there are it, three. But there are three shots that take place. That no, no, day. But, but let me explain what I think happened. All right. See, to me, this makes a hell of a lot more sense. All right. I, it, my, my theory is this, and it's very Oxum's razor. All right. So, so I, I believe that the key, the key red herring of this whole thing is that everybody thinks that Kennedy grabs his throat. 
Kennedy does not grab his throat in the Zabruder film, doesn't come close. He has his fists clenched, his elbows out, his hands never come close to his throat. There is the, a, the fateful coincidence that when he goes to Parkland Hospital, there's a hole in his throat, tiny hole, that is used as a tracheotomy to try to save his life. People then connect they th- the th- their thought, their misperception that Kennedy is grabbing his throat with the hole in the throat. That makes sense, right? That's, that is logical. However, it is an incorrect presumption. What I believe happened is that the so-called magic pristine bullet, I believe that there was a mistake at, in the chaos at Parkland Hospital. I do not believe that that bullet was found on Connolly's stretcher. I don't think anybody had a clue which stretcher was rich, which I think it was a 50-50 shot that the stretcher was Kennedy's, that they found it in Kennedy's uh, stretcher, and that this is consistent with the Parkland Hospital doctor saying he had a, there was a hole in Kennedy's back, he sticks his finger in the hole, there's no bullet there, he finds the end of the wound. Well, that matches a pristine bullet. That is, that is a bullet that would not have damage because all it did was hit flesh, nothing else. It was a, basically a surface wound. It fell out because it was a surface wound while Kennedy was in his stretcher. And then that bullet was misperceived at Parkland Hospital. That throws everybody off because everybody is now presuming that the magic bullet had to end up in Connolly's body and create all these uh, myriad of wounds, but, you know, and that John, didn't happen. Yeah, but uh, I'll tell you the reason I disagree with that, and I, you've got to look at uh, you know my chapter on the single bullet and right. also look at the, uh, the uh, graphics at the end. Here's why I disagree with that. The, when that bullet enters Kennedy's back, it's mm-hmm. traveling at 17 to 1,800 feet a second. It comes we, out of Oswald, it's going to 2,000 feet We don't know what that. It, we don't know that. Yeah, it doesn't hit anything on the way. No, but we don't. And we know no, that it was it was it was, de- it, was, it, was de- it was described as a backfire or a misfire by even Secret Service no, agents. There was the, something went the, wrong on the first shot. Something no, no, went but I mean, wrong. Then, but the bullet hole on the back of Kennedy on the autopsy X-rays mm-hmm. and photos is a small. It's the tip of the bullet, so it's a straight-on hit. Mm-hmm. And that's if it's coming at seventeen to eighteen hundred oh. feet, it's exiting his throat. At we no, now, it's not, it didn't exit his throat. throat at twelve to uh, it didn't exit his throat. Well, it didn't. I have to disagree with no, that. No, Gerald, I think that the ballistics no. and X-rays, the ballistics evidence now no, no. has Gerald, gone beyond that. Gerald, hold on. Why, why did the holes in in Kennedy's tie and and shirt, which existed, they were it's tiny? Just a neck. Yeah, I know they were tiny, problem. tiny. You know why? Because it was a bull. It was a bone fragment from his from the headshot. That's what happened. So, so why is it? Why is it that that tie and and sh- and the shirt have tiny, have a tiny but real hole in it, and no metal fragments found there? Why? See, well, because let me tell you the. Here's the key to this, and that is that we now know the exact frames, and I don't think there's any. Yeah, I know that there's some conspiracy theorists who disagree with this, but we know that the frames are 223 and 224 when Kennedy's hit because you can actually see the moment that is struck now on the film. This is with the Zapruder film. Some people think it's been altered, but it hasn't. At that moment, it's literally an eighth of a second after when Conley starts to react with his, his right hand moving up with his hat because he's been hit in the back. And this is key, John. Yeah. The entrance wound on Conley's back, an eighth of a second after Kennedy's hit, is one and a, and a quarter inches long. That's the length of the bullet. So the bullet is tumbling. When it exits Kennedy, it's not on a straight line. Conley doesn't have an entrance wound that is a small bullet wound. It's, an, it's a tumbling bullet. It's hit something on the way to him an eighth of a second. So if 
there are two bullets, as you believe, then no. there have to be two shooters. No, 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 no. Here's what happened. The first shot hits Kennedy in the back sooner than we perceive. I believe. No, it's not sooner than we believe. It's spring 223 and 224. Hold on. And that's a fact. Gerald? No, that's a fact. No, no, no. You can't, no, you can't make it sooner. No, no, that, and yes, John, I, you can't make it earlier yeah, than 223. Yes, you can. Because there's no evidence because, of it. Hold on. Yes, there is. That You talk extensively in your book about the little girl stopping on a dime. That's she's frame fought, 160. She, she, he's on, waving so, to the uh, people uh, after uh, that, and she's waving uh, to the people uh, of Jackie. No, 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 she doesn't hold, turn to look at him until he's hit. What? what? I, we might be talking about two different things here. But look, look, here's here's... My theory, for what it's worth, which apparently you don't think is worth much, but uh, is that the first shot comes slightly earlier than we believe. The reaction is later because of the nature of the, the wound not being lethal. That, that is the magic bullet falls out of Kennedy's back at Parkland. The second and then sh- what does hold on then a Oswald second. shoots a magic bullet at Conley that no. goes in sideways? No. He, How he, does the bullet the, go in sideways on Conley if it doesn't hit anything else beforehand? Because Connolly's turning around to see, as, as his but own testimony, still flying straight. If it on. hasn't hit anything else, it only is tumbling if it's hit something. I, I have, I am not unfamiliar with the the tumbling evidence that you're referring to. But but hold on a second. Connolly and his wife go to their death. Their death. Positive. Uh, hold on. You need to explain this. How, yeah, yeah, you, you're right. But you, you never read. You never read a thing I wrote once for Newsweek where Conley was reviewing. Unfortunately, he died before he was able to. So I guess the conspiracy theorists think of him as part of the mystery death. My manuscript before its publication, I believe, and that I would have had him make an endorsement that would have changed the history of this case to say, and he was stubborn. He was stubborn, and we talked about this a lot that he was wrong on believing that that first shot was the one that hit him because he knew rifle sounds and he knew immediately what it was. All right, well, I wish you would have done that because to me, both he and his wife, positive in every statement they ever gave, that Kennedy got hit, they turned around, and then he got hit, which is consistent with my theory. Uh, That's hard to get around. But look, I mean, uh, you know, it doesn't really matter. No, here's the question. As a researcher, investigator, reporter, whatever, historian, however anybody looks at this, testimony is critical from those at the scene, a guy like him who understands rifle shots, no question about it. The question is, is there better evidence? To me, the better evidence is the the actual evidence where the bullet wounds are and the film itself but that's what i rely okay. on okay well let's get let's get, get finish up here with the big picture one of the things i've always been confused by and one of the few things that i think still leaves some doubt is oswald's motivation and why he didn't take credit for this and called himself a patsy what is your theory on that well, I think he would have eventually taken credit, although he wasn't in the beginning because he was having the time of his life. He had pulled it off. He had, he had John, to everybody who teased him mercilessly when he was in school, to the people in the Marines who thought he was gay and threw him in the shower and called him Mrs. Oswald or Osvaldovich because he liked Russia, to the Russians who said get lost when he uh, defected over there and he tried to kill himself, to the people back in the United States uh, who, when he was handing out his leaflets for the Castro Revolution in New Orleans, he didn't get one member. To all those people who thought he was a loser, that he wasn't as bright as he was, he had just pulled it off. He killed the President of the United States, and he was going to have a hell of a time with it. They weren't going to just get him to fess up and say it and go to the electric chair. 
So the Oswald that I understood, he were, he had done it, and he was enjoying himself. You know, that's about as good a, an explanation as I've heard. I mean, we're never going to get a satisfactory one. Right. I, I, I do think it's interesting, you know, the, the, the there's a theory out there, I don't know what you think about this, but, you know, apparently the amount of money that Oswald had on him, was it the exact amount of money that it would have taken for him to try to get to Mexico City? Uh, and, I, and I think that's an interesting uh, possibility that he thought he was going to escape from this and that it didn't. the plan didn't work out, and so therefore he hadn't really thought the whole thing through, uh, you know, getting captured and all, which is kind of insane. Yeah, I mean, we'll never know what his plan was for an escape. That's the, the most frustrating part of it, because you raised something absolutely critical. It wasn't a suicide mission. He wanted to get away. That's clear. So he gets stopped by a Dallas policeman, Tippett, who he ends up shooting, and that leads him then to hide in the theater, and he gets arrested. But where was he going? How did he think he was going to get away? The Cubans and Soviets had already said no to him to get to Cuba. Why were they going to say yes to him now? Because he, was he delusional enough to think that he was going to show up at the Cuban mission and say, I just killed Kennedy, and they were going to say, you're our hero? We'll send you down to Havana when that would mean the president would, you know, the next president would wipe Cuba off the face of the earth? I'm not sure, but he, he had some idea in the back of that unusually warped head of where he was going, and that would be a great thing to know, but it's all speculation. You're right. Gerald Posner, author of the definitive work on the Kennedy assassination, and, and, Case Closed. And, John, I will tell you that if the, uh, I enjoy a good-spirited debate with you at any time about the ballistics, and one time when we get together and we have a drink together, I'll be bringing my film, and you'll be bringing your ideas, and we'll sit down together and we'll, we'll hash it out. We may even come to a, a fair um, agreement on, on the actual ballistics at Dealey Plaza, but we agree at least that who was the shooter and, and why he did it, and for that, I'm very grateful. That is a date, Gerald. I'll, I'll, I'll hold you to that one. Thanks it's so much. All Thank right, take you care. for a wonderfully invigorating uh, talk and uh, discussion. All right, take care. We'll keep in touch. Thank That's you. Gerald Posner, author of the book uh, Case Closed, uh, which if you care at all about what really happened in the Kennedy assassination and you want to understand why the, the wild conspiracy theories are, are uh, crazy, make sure you check that out. Um, if you're interested in my, the details of my theory, which Gerald obviously uh, has not adopted, uh, I have written about this fairly extensively. I wrote a fairly recent column for Mediate, which you can find at Free Speech Broadcasting or just Google it, uh, freespeechbroadcasting.com, uh, also on, at johnziggler.com. It's funny because I, I can almost set my clock by it, and I'm surprised I haven't gotten one yet this month because usually this month, you know, being November, and the anniversary of the assassination, I get more than than the normal amount. But I get an email almost exactly once a month from someone who has Googled uh, my article on how I think this happened. Because apparently, you know, the headline is how Lee Harvey Oswald really killed JFK. So I think people Google that and it's the first thing that comes up and then they, they respond to me. Uh, most people find it to be uh, pretty compelling and I still, you know, I would love, I would love, 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 love for, for Gerald, who I respect immensely, to be able to uh, convince me that I'm wrong. But to me, the only scenario that has ever been able to explain everything is the one that I lay out. Uh, is it 100% perfect? Uh, no, but I don't think we have enough information to be uh, 100% certain of what really happened in those six or seven seconds back in November of 1963. But anyway, check that out if you're interested. And as is always the case, uh, make sure you, you do me just two favors. That's all I ever ask since I do the podcast for free and for your enjoyment and edification. Number one, make sure you share it. 
via social media, Twitter, Facebook, what have you, or just word of mouth. And number two, do yourself a favor. And if you're one of those people who sleeps and when you sleep, you use sheets, pay attention to this important message. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed. Ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.